Welcome to Thought Hack. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Thought Hack. Really quick, shout out to our sponsors over at Catalyst Case. Um, we're out in LA again, and I have the the honor, the pleasure to be sitting down with my guy Thurs. Yes, sir. I appreciate you coming out. First of all, like, hey, thanks for having me, man. Traffic around this time is like to have anybody drive anywhere in LA is like mad. I'm gratitude, bro, for you coming out. Yeah, whenever the sun is up and you're driving in LA, man, yeah. you're gonna have 45 minutes in addition to whatever that you know. What I'm saying and traffic out here is insanity, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So uh, we were just having before off camera, we we're just having a conversation about like, you know, what you do day to day in terms of artist relations. Did you want to like elaborate real quick? Sure, sure. Um, on the artist relations side, I'm head of artist relations at Encore, live performance uh, app, um, co-founded by Ian Edelman and Kid Cudi and uh, John Gray. Um, they brought me on to help build out the program and, you know, connect with the artist community here in Los Angeles and then expand you know, to the rest of the country and globally. So I've been leading that charge for the past year. Right. Yeah. So like, how do you feel about, um, you have a unique perspective about like music and um, distribution, artist relationship with like, you know, uh, I guess uh, labels and so on and so forth. How do you feel about uh, the space music is in right now in terms of, like streaming and the the barrier of entry being so low. Like if you got a laptop, you could you could put music on Apple Music like now. Yeah, I think the barrier of entry is pretty cool. Um, you know, everybody has some sort of like you know creative itch in them. So just being able to create something from a conversation, you know, record it on your laptop, be able to put it out for people to hear it. I think that's dope. That's like a big testament to where we at. You know, with all the technological advances that we've had from like, you know, the softwares that you can use, the different mics you can plug up, interfaces and all that. So I think that low barrier is dope. You know, um, when I was just kind of starting off in a group, you know, you and I, I had to use studio time after midnight, you know, at Studio Sound City, uh, in the valley, uh, with my brother, you know, to record our music. You know, we didn't, we didn't have budget for other studios. So we had to, get in where we could fit in and, you know, use the equipment they had. Had we just had, you know, a laptop with all the software that's available now, probably we've been recording all day, you know, making way more music, you know, and um, having access to different producers. The turnover would have been, you know, incredible, you know, what we could do. So I think that buried entry is very dope for where we're at right now. You have, like, I mean, people like, Put them in the bracket of like, oh, they're haters, but like a lot of old school artists, I feel like don't really fuck with it because they're like, one, they feel like because anyone could do it, it's so much more trash out. This is their perspective. I, I mean, I'm not judging way or another because there's something for everybody. Yeah. But I think, I think there's, you know, that, that perspective is, you know, not far off. Um, I think how music is created. You know, with those bigger sessions and with more people in the room, you know, you have conversations and ideas that people agree on. And those agreements kind of create 
better song subject matter, you know, better song ideas. When you're just by yourself and you have software just to record, you just, you know, it's like a therapy session for you. You're just getting off whatever you're thinking individually. But when you have somebody in a room with you, you know, I always say two or more people. I think I took this quote from somebody, but I can't remember who said it, but I'm saying this shit right now. <laughs> Two more people, there's like, you know, this idea of a, of a higher power being present. You know, God is in the room when there's like a conversation to be had, That's you know? Dope. So um, I think those older heads that, you know, talk about the sessions in bigger studios and, you know, having engineers, there is a spirit, you know, you can feel in the music and how it's recorded with the instrumentation and all that from the mixes. It's a you can hear the difference, you know, from how and when it was recorded to what's available now. So I'm not going to say that they're wrong for that, for sure. Like, I mean, on on my end, I, I could see the perspective because I think with anything, even like um, because I'm in the podcasting space or whatever, anyone could basically just, I remember when Anchor was like, oh, we're going to make it like super easy for you to do a podcast on your phone. Yeah. And I immediately was like, okay. It's going to be like a million like bullshit pods out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, it's like there are people who genuinely might have something to say, but they don't have the means or the resources to get it out. So then, I mean, it's it's dope on that side. So it's it's tricky. And then like everything is so flooded, like attention spans is like zero now because yeah. I used to live with an album for like months. Yeah. Now it's like I got to hurry up and listen to it because something's dropping next week. I feel you. I feel you. I, I'm not that type of listener. I'm a little different. Like, I'm never in a rush to hear new music. You know, I usually wait. You know, about a month until the hype dies down, so I can form my own opinion. I don't want to be influenced by anybody's. You know, recap or review. Mm. And you know, I go live with the music, drive to it. You know, and I form my opinion on that. Like, I know that the Kendrick just dropped. I was excited to hear this new Kendrick album. Really? So I've been living with that since you know May 13th. That's the, been the main thing, probably that and some like dance hall or reggae records or whatever. But that was just one album I've been excited to hear. It's been like a five year hiatus. Um, I guess it just depends on the listener, you know, no, with that kind of that, that, that perspective. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of artists and the conversation with artists versus labels or artists and labels and negotiations and all that stuff now. Um, it seems like artists and labels where before it, it felt like they were a little bit more, I guess, compatible or on the same page. Now it feels like this thing where they're at odds. Unless you're like a big artist like Drake. Mm-hmm. And I think he's he's over at Universal, right? So yeah. he's, they're getting along just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you're hearing more and more artists like publicly coming out against their label or publicly having beef or like, you know, having differences in terms of, um, I guess, splits and so on and so forth. Yeah. How do you feel like that affects the music in the short term and long term? Do you feel like labels even like continue to exist as is or do they go away or? Um, I think labels will continue to exist because they're pretty much financial institutions, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, people <laughs> getting loans without a business plan. So yeah. like, that's uh, already a mistake right there. You know, you should never take on any loan with money without an idea of how you're going to repay that, and, you know, what type of terms you're going to take on. So I look at, you know, record labels as banks, you know, but they have high APR rates. They have the worst APR right. rates. So without having an idea um, of how you're going to execute your 
three to five year business plan with whatever amount of albums that you're agreeing to do, um, how you're going to effectively market those, what type of content you're going to produce to market them, uh, how many shows and how you're going to route tours, where these fans live to, you know, get the biggest ROI for those efforts of producing a live show. You got to have, you know, that kind of mindset, you know, when doing that. I know most artists are just in the creative mode, but there should be somebody on the team that has that business. Because I don't even think a lot of them know that's an option. Yeah. I just learned the math and I feel like kind of like dumb for not knowing better. I'm not even in music, but I was just like, that's insane. Like the, the way it worked, like artists going from album to album or contract to contract in debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got, you know, people living above their means without really generating revenue to support the lifestyle that they want to live. So you just live in a lifestyle of debt, you know, and that's. But I, I don't even think they like you imagine if like most artists are like super young. So if you're like 23, 24 mm-hmm. and you think you have a million dollar deal, you right. don't understand. You really like after expenses and like, you know, you, you pay back the advance and all, you really maybe have a hundred grand left over. Yeah. <laughs> no one's like, Hey, by the way, it's really a hundred thousand dollars. Like after expenses or whatever, you're really walking away with like maybe a hundred grand, but they're yeah. not. Yeah. You gotta have somebody with that business hat that's gonna like walk you through, you know, what are your deliverables? Um, what all these costs are associated with getting your product, you know, distributed out, you know, and, how much it costs to market this project, you know? Uh, a single campaign could easily be a million dollars. If you have like a hit single, you know, you can mm-hmm. run up that tab pretty quickly, you know? And a lot of these campaigns, you know, a successful campaign could last, you know, six to 12 months. So just knowing what you're getting into and how to successfully. And it, it's it insane off. too, because like the artist, effectively is paying for the recording of the album yeah but they don't own the recording of the album that's because you're taking that money to produce something so like know what you get into yeah mm-hmm. it's always i you know i would advise artists to have a product and take it to a label you know you can discuss uh terms for distribution and marketing you know where you can still retain that ownership or if they want a portion of that then you can negotiate it but uh, artists should, you know, ultimately always retain their masters by any means, or at least have like a buyback kind of term, you know, that's mm-hmm. in the contract. So, you know, um, somebody with that business hat always got to be yeah, with you right. and stay lawyered up. And, you know, you just got to have your team that's willing to fight for you and get you in that best situation. So what role do you feel like, uh, like DSPs, like, you know, Spotify or Apple play in that, that mix? In that mix, I mean, there's simply, marketing mechanism you know like they don't pay crazy amount for a stream we all know that streams don't pay anything but the masses are subscribed to these streams so like if you want to be heard your music should be accessible on these dsps um i think you need to create a breadcrumb strategy from the dsps that you know lead artists to engaging with you in some capacity you know obviously live shows is one of those, you know, call to actions or destinations from the streams. But, you know, we're in that Web3 phase. So having some type of breakup strategy to lead somebody to engage with you online somewhere, you know, like I do artist relations encore. So 
at Breadcrumb Strategy or a use case that we've been implementing has been new releases. So if you have something that's coming out on Spotify, all right, let's bring your fans here to Encore. We can create this augmented reality environment for you to be immersed in and then your fans could be present with you on this app, be live in the chat room, be engaged in these different polls, vote on what song you perform. And it's a mini concert. It's a mini concert. You know, and it's a gamified experience for your fans to like win a backstage pass, talk to you on FaceTime, you know, through the app. It's called a backstage pass. Um, but that is the type of breadcrumb strategy that can be implemented with these new releases, you know. Um, so streams are marketing. You know, you just want people to know about your product and then you want to have some type of utility attached to that product for extra means of monetization. I mean, it, it's a marketing mechanism but at the same time it's completely or almost totally replaced the actual medium people used to listen to music through like cds and so on yes yeah unfortunately but you are seeing spikes in vinyl um so i feel like that's an artsy thing though i feel like that's like a collector's thing like i mean it's a spike but i don't think it's like i mean it's 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 the trajectory it's constantly up you know It's, it's constantly going up every year there are more and more vinyl collectors um but merch and, you know, I think physical products, if you can mm. attach these intangible, you know, releases to some type of physical product, that's another, you know, that's stream. So, yeah. Because I remember um, Travis Scott did something like that. I think a lot of people were like sort of like against or opposed to it because I think, um, I'm not sure if it was Billboard who was counting it as like an album sale or something like that. Mm. And there was merch attached. But I feel like you're in a space now where it's harder to monetize music so you have to sort of take all of these other means and mechanisms whether you like it or not it's like no one's getting like that percentage off the cd seller right right yeah so there has to be some type of product you know because mm-hmm. you have these intangible goods music is an intangible good so you know you're making that you know fraction of a cent so what else can you attach that stream to you know, to like convert that stream into a real sale of an actual product. You know, that's what's going to put real money in your pocket. You know, instead of waiting for a thousand streams, you know, to make what, four dollars? So do you do you feel like because I mean, I feel like you sort of explored both sides of that conversation. Do you feel like like the stream platform should pay the artists more? Um Ideally, I mean, everybody would want to be paid more. No, I mean, of course, everybody yeah. would want to be paid more. I think it's pushing, well, at least for me, you know, with uh, what I'm building on the party in my living room side, you know, I've been um, doing this house party series that turned into a digital series. Now I'm expanding that to like this mobile app development, you know, for engagement with my music and for these IRL activations that I, you know, will continue to do, but I'm attaching my music to all that. So I'm like creating a destination uh, that creates an ecosystem where I can put my own music out, you know, host it here, create all this utility around this music, create NFT, have this like NFT service like a key to access some other feature or other event. But I'm controlling this narrative, you know, and controlling this technology and creating this uh, engagement platform for my fans. So. I think, you know, the streams are going to be what they are, you know, whether they fluctuate to pay artists more or decrease. That's not my final destination for my fan. Yeah. You know, that's just a marketing tool for me. So I think that's the mindset for artists that they should take on is like, if we are going to be owners, you know, let's create our own platforms 
let the DSPs be what they're going to be because the masses, I utilize it for myself, you mm. know. I don't go seek out CDs. I'm not buying every vinyl. Mm. Um, I will go stream some shit. And then if mm. I'm engaged with that artist, I'm going to go to the show. Yeah. You know, I'll buy some merch, you know. Mm. I'm that kind of guy, that, that type of consumer where something, you know, feels right with me, I'll pay the dollar, you know, to mm. support. So I want an end uh, product or end destination to, like, host a marketplace and host my content and just allow people to like choose their adventure with me that's you know? so i mean like and i i see more and more like artists and brands sort of community building mm -hmm. where you're sort of like putting together a, a vehicle so like this tribe of people that fuck with you yeah can basically engage with your product um buy other product um feel a little bit close like how can other artists do a better job of that because i see some people do it like amazing job at it mm -hmm. and then on the flip side i feel like one of the best people i feel like that does it is like travis scott yeah yeah i feel like yeah travis's team gets it i think for the artist that's not travis you're constantly in this mode of like self-discovery mm -hmm. so you ultimately have to live mm -hmm. <laughs> and like you know analyze what your lifestyle is and then make whatever you do the fly shit market whatever you do if you are a bible study and church goer mm -hmm. shit you know like create something around that that other people who may share that you know love or affinity for reading the bible you know create some type of event where y'all can meet up and discuss this or have a song that you know touches on what your lifestyle really is so I think artists are constantly in self-discovery mode to figure out how to market their lifestyle. So um, I think you need some people with the marketing hat. So there's yeah. the business hat and marketing. They kind of go in tandem with each other. But if you can look at your lifestyle and assess, oh, this is cool that you do this. We could create something out of some type of content strategy out of this and roll this out to like, you know, sell this song or promote this song and do something unique. So. Constant self-discovery is how you kind of get those opportunities for what Travis has kind of like created for himself. You know, it was dope to see him do the Fortnite shit. I don't know if he's a big that was gamer. Dope. You know, I don't know if he's a big gamer, but mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, yeah, have, I'm yeah. not as big a gamer, but I'm still like really in tune to what's going on with that community. And that Fortnite concert was that was crazy. I didn't know how it was going to do. Yeah, I was surprised that the reception was so huge. Like people literally sitting and watching the show through like almost like this uh third party mm -hmm. was was kind of crazy to watch yeah super dope so mm -hmm. just let you know where we're going you know with the lot those live experiences so mm -hmm. there's an audience for everything so that's why self-discovery is important like you know artists should be honest with themselves and that's how you're going to find your tribe you know the people who share those same values or you know likes and it doesn't have to be a the, the masses it's going to be a niche audience first mm -hmm. everything is niche until it blows the fuck up i don't know how responsible he is for like the merch and the event and all of that other stuff but him and his team do like an amazing job of putting yeah. stuff together to have another one i feel like is, is super dope is like kanye and yeah. how he could sort of navigate culture whether it's like music or fashion or or whatever else like yeah like really effortlessly has been dope right like everything he's been doing on the music side like you'll have merch from a festival mm -hmm. like sort of like come out of that and 
have value in terms of streetwear. It's not like mm-hmm. just you went to an Aerosmith t- show and like got a t-shirt or something. Like right. it's like ten dollar t-shirt that nobody gives a fuck about. Like you'll yeah. leave a Kanye show with a shirt, and that has like this intrinsic value in this other space. Yeah, where like people flip it on StockX, and then the clothing takes a whole life of its own. Yeah, because all of Kanye's releases have a storyline attached to them. He's always in self-discovery mode, you know, even when he did the Yeezus project, you know, he's diving into self, diving into his awareness of the world and creating an experience around that. And, you know, that's why the merch looks so dope. He cares about the detail, the fabrics and all that. And then the storyline that's attached to it is just a great product altogether. So people are going to want to buy something that's quality, that has a dope storyline to it. And, you know, they want to be the first to do it amongst their friends, the first to acquire you know those those merch pieces so yeah um constant self-discovery yeah even with you know everything that he's done recently with donda yeah that's been crazy to watch people like he's working on an album and while he's working on it he's doing these sort of live shows and the, the album's evolving through the process of the shows and he's like sort of tweaking it with an audience it's been like i mean most people would feel weird about opening up the process that much yeah yeah i I love that you know when he what what was that project pablo yeah when he released it and he's constantly changing the track list constantly changing the mixes yeah that's genius to me because you know it's people don't understand the hours that go into mixing the song for it to feel right you know you're gonna play for somebody if you don't get the reaction you want you might tweak something just so they can feel what you said at a certain yeah. point of that record. So I think he's been an ultimate uh, display of like vulnerability in that creation process and then always attaching like a story to all of his products. So like if, if you're an up and coming artist and you wanted to sort of showcase that in a way you wanted to do, I mean, of course, it's not going to be as big as Astroworld. You could scale it and do it however you're going to do it. But you want to create your own like experiential situation where you can have fans pull up. What do you feel like is like the most important thing to consider putting something like that together? Um, most important thing to consider, I guess, the feeling of the project that you're promoting. Um, yeah, what's attached to that project? What does the project mean? If you have a project, you know, yeah, I guess I, I would really have to hear a project to give you like an idea of where I would advise an artist or how I would advise an artist to do something. But if you're trying to, you know, create an event, um, you would, you know, find those uh, variables that relate to the project. You know, if it feels like something that you would ride to the sun in, then you might curate like a daytime party experience. You might have um, music that's comparable to like what's on that project, you know, like a DJ that's kind of curating a vibe that listeners will be open to hearing your project or receiving it. You might have a visual aesthetic or like some art pieces that cater to, you know, um, or feel like what the music sounds like, you know, because some people can see color. So like if you want to have like a vibe that matches, you just want to like curate an experience that enhances the listening experience for your project. So um that's something to consider. It's like overall vibe when what are people gonna take away? What type of like experience are people gonna remember 
walking away from your experience. So that's something to consider. What was like the last like festival or like experience or event you went to that you was like really like like blown away or like impressed by? Uh man, well last I was I was still on the the committee, the executive committee for the Lamert Park Juneteenth Festival. Mm-hmm. So, you know, me, Quest, uh, Il Camille, you know, the homie Chase Infinite, Tony, Banch, it's a lot of us, you know, in, in Lamert, and we all sit down and we're producing this festival coming up this year. But last year, we were able to, like, you know, partner with a lot of different, you know, sponsors and different, you know, companies and celebrate Juneteenth in, like, a unique way. You know, Lamert Park is, like, the mm-hmm. mecca of LA. So, we brought out 30,000 people, you know, and we had like five different stages and the way we were able to just to curate each stage with different artists that meant different things to the city. I was blown away by that experience. And then I, I programmed a party in my living room stage. It's in the alley right by Hot and Cool. And we had it packed the whole time. So like that was, that blew my mind. Cause I was like, you know, I know we had some promotional assets that went out and, you know, people were, in the know of what the digital series was, but just to see people come out and have an experience. And then sometimes I step back, take everything in for this to be Juneteenth and the Mecca of LA, mad black people all around, 30,000, you know, black people all there. I was blown away by that because you don't see us in that amount of numbers, you know, anywhere. So that was like a mind blowing experience for me, you know? Juneteenth, like it's crazy. It's like maybe the, the fourth time like this week, someone talks to me about like a Juneteenth event or some type of celebration in relation to that. And I don't feel like that's something that was like common a couple of years ago. Is this right. like a recent thing? I don't know if that's like in direct connection to what's been going on, like, I mean, culturally or like what's been going on, like just the whole atmosphere, like companies are like reading the room and they're like, yeah, we should probably invest a couple more dollars. And Right, right. So, I mean, it's been, you know, um, people recognize it as a national holiday that's like recent, you know, um, and it's been celebrated in Lamert for a long time. Um, but it's been like a recent kind of trend thing where people and businesses are recognizing it as that national holiday. So that's why you're seeing about it more. And then, you know, companies are allotting budget to make sure that they have presence, you know, during these different, you know, Juneteenth celebrations across the city. So, you know, it's almost like reparations, yeah. or former reparations, you know? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, they, they got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, it's a long yeah. way to go. But, you know, it's, it's still, you know, a time to take advantage of any corporation that's trying to, like, market to a black audience, you know? Yeah. yeah. The upside is, like, one, I don't feel like the budgets are big enough. We were dealing with a, a bank. I'm not going to, like, name the bank specifically. But yeah. uh, I was talking to the CMO. And they were like, yeah, like, you know, we were interested in doing stuff in the, like, you know, the urban space or whatever language they mm-hmm. use That's to what they kind saying. of say black. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, well, uh, since you're a bank, um, we could always curate this, like, you know, financial wellness podcast thing. And then I like to layer stuff. So it's like mm-hmm. we could attach that to an activation and maybe like, you know, sort of maybe put out some like, you know, uh, some type of marketing and then put like kits together and like maybe tie in like a, a influencer or something like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fuck. And they're like, yeah, this and that. And that's like super interesting and conversation goes on. And then what ends up happening is like they write you like, you know, some 
low check and they're like, look, you guys could do whatever you want. We show you know best. And it's almost like a, a charity thing. It's like a write off where they're just like, here, like, I'm sure you guys will figure it out. And then right. they go off. Whereas like, I thought it was genuinely going to be this thing where they were going to be involved and they were mm-hmm. going to tie it in. And like, it was going to be maybe some type of learning experience on their end in terms of like, you know, interacting with the community and maybe like engaging with like heritage or culture or whatever. Right. Right. I mean, I think it's on the production side to like, you know, if these entities, these corporate entities want to come in, have presence, you know, it needs to be obviously a dollar amount to help produce the event, help produce an activation and um, a long-term strategy just to like create those community partnerships. You know, there needs to be, a plan kind of laid out with taking these sponsorship dollars. Like, yo, we would love for you guys to commit to, you know, these quarterly events leading up to Juneteenth. You know, I think that's the scope to have on <clears throat> um, or to take on when uh, having these conversations. So when you have a plan in mind, you know, when talking to them, you can like lead them down, you know, that, that route. So Instead of just waiting for them to say what they want to do, yeah. have it in mind. You know, I feel like that's beneficial with the conversation I've been having with sponsorship. So yeah, I just have like, oh, this shoe company wants to come in. All right, let's let's do these runs here and here. You know, I have this community partner that has this weekly run. Let's pair this up and let's do this and you know provide a budget. Let's uh, sponsor some. Let's create some like scholarships. Mm-hmm. You know, for these kids that want to run. Like, let's create like those type of programs that are quarterly at the least, you know, mm. and um, that makes them pay, you know, for not just pitting us as a consumer, but just actually being a part of the community, you know. So, like, speaking of like cultural stuff, if you look at, um, we're talking about music, but I feel like hip hop as a culture extends beyond that to like, you know, uh, like fashion, um, just content around. It's crazy. Um, the other day when Pusha did that, that Arby's, like, oh, this track, track. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> on the one side, it was dope, but on the other side, it was just like, Pusha's one of my favorite rappers. So I see it and I'm kind of like, I don't know how to feel about this. Though. Right. It's, it's so commercial. It's one thing because he'll talk about doing the McDonald's jingle. Yeah. Which is like, ah, right, you did the jingle in the background, whatever. You're actively doing like this diss song against like McDonald's or something. <laughs> it was insane. I was just like, it was so commercial. I was like, I don't know how to digest this. Right. But then on the flip side, it was pretty dope. And I was just like, there's no culture in the world that impact global culture like ours does. Right. And then if you look at like impact, and value it's one thing and then when you look at like ownership it's like something else yeah how do you kind of start to move in the opposite direction if that's even possible at this point and is it even worth doing like we we've had conversations around people's masters Mm. but then it's like if you own your master's is it worth having if you're not able to monetize that in some way? You own it, but is it worth anything in your hands versus over here? Kevin Lyles, I think, was talking about that, which mm-hmm. was, I, I think, a dope conversation. Yeah. And it's like so many perspectives where on one side you have people who are just super gung-ho about ownership. 
And then on the other side, you have like the labels and I guess the business people are kind of like, well, we're backing you. So we should have some type of like equity in like the the long term distribution of whatever this product is. Mm -hmm. And you would hope people somehow land in the middle, Mm -hmm. but it always ends up like every artist story ends up like the artist is like, well, 90 percent of the artists like destitute or they ended up in a bad deal or it's like a horror story or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's always in your best favor to own your masters, yeah. you know, and if you don't own that, then you're just making yourself liable to another entity um, working, you know, this project and then paying you, you know, paying you a portion of the revenue. So with ownership, then you can build partnerships to work it. You know, catalog is always a huge, you know, situation. You know, in the pandemic, we saw mad catalogs just spike up more than new releases. So somebody who doesn't own their catalog, you know, they're not going to reap the benefits of these songs, you know, streaming well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's always in your best interest to own it. And then you can always create, you know, different partnerships to market these catalogs. Like my first internship was Rhino. Rhino Entertainment is through the Warner Music Group. Uh, it was a subsidiary of Warner Music Group. And, you know, that firsthand taught me about catalog. I was able to see, you know, the discography of Eric B. and Rakim, seeing Fleetwood Mac. And they're constantly attaching some of these songs to, like, these, like, now kind of mixtape compilation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they help to market these other, you know, albums. And they're constantly selling. You know, they're constantly... On shelves, this is at the time when CDs were like, you know, mm-hmm. booming, but like catalogs always going to be here. You're always going to be able to monetize that in some way. You know, there's going to be licensing opportunities for film and television, you know, and now there's the video game industry. It's like, mm-hmm. what, 170 billion? I might be wrong yeah. on that, but it's like, it's somewhere up there. Yeah. So they're constantly doing licensing deals and, you know, putting new music on these video games. So, you know, you want to be able to retain ownership of these masters and connect with these people that are music supervisors. You know, you're always going to have to network to get business. So you have that power to network, especially when you have ownership, you know, to yeah. place your music, you know, in those for for those business opportunities. So the ownership is key. Yeah, I mean, that's dope. I, I remember the story that, I mean, it kind of made me laugh, but it was, it was sad at the same time. Uh, Bun B was telling a story about, like, I guess the happiest moment they had. It wasn't, like, long lived, but they had signed their um, deal. Mm-hmm. I forget what label he was talking about. I, I probably wouldn't want to name drop him anyway, but um, him and, uh, I guess, Pimp C went, signed a deal. They were gassed. They walked out of the room, just mad excited. And then um, KRS, I guess, was walking down the hallway. I don't know if you ever heard this story. I don't think I have. So KRS was walking down the hallway, and he was like, yo, what are y'all doing here? And he was like, yo, we, we, we're here to sign like our deal. Yeah. So KRS was like, yo, did y'all sign it yet? And he was like, yeah, we just signed it. He was like, fuck, and just walked off. Oh, and I was like, damn, that's like, that's probably like the worst feeling in the world. Because he damn. said he immediately felt like shit. Like, yo, what did, like, did we make a mistake or something? Yeah. You hear so many horror stories, like when you hear, like, you know, what happened to like TLC or whatever. And it's probably like the worst experience in the world to have like this massive cultural impact and then not have 
the the resources or the finances or the dollar amount that that should go with that. Yeah. 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 No, nah, I, I agree. <laughs> like listening, like like hearing that TLC had to like split like three hundred thousand between themselves or something crazy like that is like insanity, bro. Yeah, and they had successful albums, yeah. man. Like, like massive albums. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks, bro. Very very much so. That's- so where like in terms of pairing because like one of the dope things I, i've seen a lot of brands doing is like collabs so mm-hmm. um you mentioned you've worked with like red bull and so on and so forth mm-hmm. what like what different pairings in terms of like just the the hip-hop culture of music in general are you like excited with in terms of like collabs or anything like that I'm surprised. Um, I didn't know Red Bull was like that into music because in my mind, Red Bull was more so on the like extreme sports, like people jumping off of cliffs type of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now they, I've learned a lot from Red Bull on the marketing side. Just like I haven't seen any other corporation invest that many dollars into like creating a lifestyle around their brand. Um, so yeah, I feel like they're a marketing company that just happens to have an energy drink. That's what it looks like, yeah. you know. Um, but you know, their whole business operates from the sale of that can. You know, yeah. that Red Bull product is recognized worldwide, just from how the can is designed, you know, to how they market it with all the animations and you know the commercials. Mm-hmm. So they're really geniuses about you know marketing it and then doing these events, you know, and attaching, you know, the right people to the brand and you know. Making it an organic situation that looks like, you know, this face over here is doing this in this community and it makes sense for us to partner with them. So I've always taken a lot, you know, of information from my work at Red Bull. It's like another kind of like college stint for me, you know, teaching me some real, real hands on marketing. Um, other brands that I'm excited to see, uh, partnerships with. Um, I like what Nike does, you know, with the homie Chris Gibbs, I mean, at least Jordan Brand. Um, I like all the redesigns that he's done with like, I'm rocking some now, the Union Ones, it's like my favorite shoe. So he has, he did the fours, he dropped like a few colorways of the fours. So love seeing Nike and Jordan collaborate with like the homies um, mm-hmm. that, you know, have brick and mortar locations and are really OGs, but real curators and who care about, you know, the culture. So um, everything that they're doing with Chris Gibbs is dope. I love to see what uh, New Balance is doing with Bricks and Woods. Tommy Casey has done a great job with his brand. Um, so love to see that type of collaboration, you know, with somebody who's, you know, got dirty in the city and really built something, you know, um, on a grassroots level and was able to, catch the attention of a brand, you know, to do a type of collaboration. So Bricks and Woods, New Balance, uh, Nike, Jordan with Chris Gibbs and Union. Um, who else is there? Um, I love every, you know, on the local level, uh, I love everything that Haroon does. Shout out to Chase Infinite. You know, Haroon is like a dope coffee shop in Lamert Park. Um, yeah, I'm not from like the West Coast. So I'm like, yeah, you got to go to Lamert. You got to yeah. look. You, you, Gotta go to Lamar Park. You gotta go to Lamar Park. Check it out. Like, you know, and then, then you can hit Market Street and Inglewood. But um go to Lamar Park, go to Haroon, get you a coffee, then go get you a soul bowl from Hot and Cool Cafe. And then if you're still hungry, go around the corner to Osla. So I just 
you know, outside of like all the corporate corporate stuff, I just like supporting the local business owners, you know. Work. Big um, yeah, really big on that. Really like try to spend my dollar in the community first before I go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but back to your original question, um, those are probably the primary corporate collaborations that I get excited about. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and shout out to Adidas too. I did a collaboration with Adidas. Work. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I designed a hoodie um for it was for february for black history month we did this dope run in inglewood with the adidas running team so i was able to design um a really cool illustration with my party my living room team um and with adidas so you know i like collaborating with collaborating with adidas i used to curate a lot of events with my boy jerron ward at the adidas originals uh store that was on melrose we did the Creators Corner series, and we had like Dot DJ Dahi, Focus, J Pounds, Hit Boy. We were doing like a series uh, with panel discussions, uh, a series with like different um, DJs and producers coming in, and it was like a quarterly situation. We did a magazine uh, with Suspend Magazine, so um, Adidas definitely kind of t- takes a page from like Red Bull, with, like you know, creating those marketing moments that entangle them with the community i feel like know? they're doing like the whole cultural collab thing better than any other like like clothing or sneaker brand to me right now like what they did i mean i'm not even going to look at just yeezys but um what they did with ivy park and that was a moment like they yeah. they've been doing stuff with like pharrell um just recently i know yep. they did like that gucci collab which looked like crazy i'm like i feel like they're doing like this amazing job yeah yeah man i've had a long relationship with them uh, i was crazy the group i was in you and i we had we were unsigned but we were like the first unsigned app like a shoe deal mm. we designed a shoe and everything never got released because the group disbanded now we're getting back together getting our shit right but Word. you know adidas has, has been down um for a lot of like the independent acts and a lot of the community you know innovators, um, influencers. So shout out to that Adidas Entertainment team as well, with Layla and the Adidas running team with BK. You know, they're doing some dope stuff. That's fire. That's fire, bro. So, like, in terms of, I don't know if you ever, uh, like, explored it because you were were talking about that that whole house party series you were putting together. Um, Have you, like, explored anything in, like, the podcasting space or anything like that? Um, I tried one, I tried two podcasts. Um, they were, they came out really cool. I just didn't have the bandwidth at the time to keep producing them. Um, do you listen to any? Do, do I listen to any? Um, I, I subscribe to Earn Your Leisure. Um, I try to tap in with them as much as I can. Um, I need to dive into some more. There's like some different financial podcasts that the homies would tell me to, mm-hmm. you know, to tune into. So. Uh, I'm gonna expand my my list, but if you have any to recommend, I got mad recommendation. Yes, yeah. send it to me, man. Yeah, I got mad. I'm, I'm trying to learn every day. <laughs> the the podcasting space is dope, and I know more and more labels and more DSPs are getting into it. I mean, Spotify is like super heavy in the space. Yeah, but um, if you just look at like the hype behind an album, and if you're looking like you know amount of time that a, a, a artist will put into that product mm-hmm. and how much attention is going to be focused on that. Like an artist might put out like one, maybe two albums a year tops, like absolutely tops, right? Yeah. 
and an album's like maybe like what like an hour long yeah a podcaster's doing that like weekly yeah that's... maybe bi-weekly yeah yeah like an hour of audio like on a weekly basis yeah like like just consecutively like mm-hmm. every day like most podcasters who are doing it like that aren't like joe buttons isn't really taking like a break like yeah. there's an episode coming out like every week on top of whatever they're doing in the background like patreon and so on and so forth yeah. so it makes sense like if you're a dsp and you want people to stay on your platform for as long as possible mm-hmm. like yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah might have to explore it a little more. I know um, there's this uh, speaker company named Soundbox. I'm like having some conversations with them. Um, they want me to curate some like hour long programming. So you know I have like all the audio recorded from all my my house parties. Dope, dope. So you know I'll probably use some of those recordings and you know tell stories about different events and different artists that I've had you know works with. So yeah, probably do something like that for sure. That'd be fire, bro. Yeah. Um, I don't know how in depth you wanted to go about like different like you know music news stuff or whatever because I know certain people in different spaces don't want to like talk about all of the the stuff going on. But um, like if we were going to like uh, specifics or like you know anything that was going on locally, I feel like uh, I just had brain for it. I knew where I was going with that. Man. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, we'll just wrap there, though. Okay, okay. All right. All right. I appreciate you coming through, man, and I appreciate you shooting with us. Did you want to plug anything before we wrapped? Or um, party in my living room app. You know, here partymyliveroom.com. Subscribe so that you can be a new user on the beta. Um, download the Encore app. Um, tap in for all the live shows going on the Encore. Um, come to Juneteenth. You know, I'll be in the alley programming the party in my living room stage. And then look out for that new Party My Living Room TV series. You know, I don't know what right. network it's going to be on, but, you know, stay tuned, man. So, yeah. And it's dope that Cuddy's involved with, like, Encore because he's, like, one of my favorite artists. Yeah, he's... When he doesn't like, get enough credit. Like, he birthed so many yeah, artists. Yeah, he birthed the whole kind of, like, subcategory, you mm. know? Like... He's yeah. not, like, a, one of those, like, look at me or braggadocious types. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's easy if you're not constantly like, yo, I did that for people to kind of, like, discount it. But, like, he definitely should get, like, way more credit. Absolutely. I mean, just him being, you know, being a co-founder of Encore and when he did his first show, you know, on Encore, you know, I just seeing the fans that came in. He had, like, 15,000 kids coming on the app and, you know, generated over, like, a million claps. So he made like $140,000 just from a 20-minute show. That's crazy. On Encore. So, you know, his genius on the artistic level and Ian Edelman's genius, you know, just with the vision to help put this together with John Gray, you know, it's a perfect marriage, man. So I'm learning so much, you know, just seeing all those elements combine for a, a, a great product, man. So... I'm excited to play a role over there. And I'm just excited to continue to build Party in My Living Room. And, you know, oh, and the new You and I album coming out. I don't know when, but, you know, we got to hold on to Glad y'all work whatever out yeah, and get yeah. back together. That's fine. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sidebar, if you ever talk to Cuddy, 
He yeah. was on this show called How to Make it in America. I've never, I thought yeah. you, I never saw you. That's not, you watched it? Yeah, but that's Ian Edelman is the director. Work? Like, dog, that was one yeah. of my favorite shows. I was so tight when they canceled it. Yeah. That was yeah, literally uh, my favorite show. So, yeah, Ian is the brains behind Encore. So they brought dog. me in. You know, we all, we all talk about HBO's How to Make it in America. Everybody was tight about season dog. two not coming out. Yeah. But Encore is season two. So God subscribe. <laughs> I fucking love that show, bro. Yeah. And it put me up on Aloe Black because he did the theme song and shit. But like yeah, I was so disappointed. Yeah. That's so disappointed. Yeah. Alright, man. Thanks for coming out. Guys, uh check out everything he just talked about. And um again, shout outs to Catalyst Case. Thanks for listening to Thought. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Catalyst Case. This is Reg, and you're listening to Thought Hack.